This is Dr. Stan May, and you're listening to Drawing from the Well, a weekly podcast by Chronological Bible Teaching Ministries. This is Jonathan Doolin here once again with Dr. Stan May discussing some of the discovery questions from Tyndale's one-year chronological study Bible. This week, we are covering the Proverbs. The first question that we'll consider is this. Both wisdom and folly call out for followers. How do we distinguish between the two voices and make the right choice? Such a great question, um, because like the evangelist, we see wisdom, once again, calling But wisdom calls to all people, calls them to listen to truth, to knowledge, to seek understanding so that they may hate evil and avoid pride. She invites them to live for the long term. She doesn't say, you know, she says, don't get focused on today, live for the long term. She calls them to walk in righteousness and judgment, and she asks them to wait daily at her gates. This is such a beautiful phrase in Proverbs 8, that we're to wait daily at her gates and to watch to see what she'll teach us. And this is why reading God's Word daily matters so much, because the wisdom will speak to us daily if we'll make time to listen. And she promises when we do that we'll gain instruction and we'll be wise. Folly also calls, but she invites him to come to her, enjoy pleasures that don't belong to them, stolen waters are sweet, bread eaten in secret, and to act without good judgment. Wisdom counsel lead to life, but folly leads people to destruction. It's interesting you make the assumption. Obviously, I agree that we go to God's word for wisdom. Um, in Job, he, he, there's this incredible, uh, it's an entire chapter where he talks about men know where to find iron and silver and all these precious stones, but but there's nowhere in all the earth where wisdom is found. That's right. Wisdom is found with, with God alone, and we find it from his word. The next question, why is it important that wise people learn from criticism and correction, and where in the biblical story does God use correction? One of the painful lessons of life is to learn that God teaches us through correction and criticism. We want life to be easy. We want life to uh, let us have fun. But there's an old song that says, Barry McGuire wrote a song, and he said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, leaving me none the wiser for all she had to say. But I walked a mile with sorrow. Never a word said she. But oh, what sorrow did for me. Sorrow set me free. And in the same way, The writer of Proverbs picks up on the themes of criticism and correction to teach us. Proverbs 12.1 says, to learn, you must love discipline. It's stupid to hate correction. Proverbs 13.1 says, a wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. Proverbs 13.18 says, if you ignore criticism, you'll end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you'll be honored. Proverbs 15.5 says, only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. And Proverbs 15.32, just in today's reading, says, If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you'll grow in understanding. We look back in the Word of God. We see God correcting the nation repeatedly as they wandered through the wilderness. We see God correcting uh, David and Uzzah for the improper way of handling or mishandling the ark. We see God correcting David with his over his sin with Bathsheba. God corrects Moses. God corrects Aaron. 
Over and over again, God sends correction, and the wise people learn from those correction, uh, learn from that correction. They get, God gets their attention, they change their ways, and he protects them from the destructive consequences of the ways that they were heading in. Amen. And we're told in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, one of the ways that the word is profitable to us is that it corrects us. Amen. Next. Solomon warns twice about choosing the path that seems right. Why is this path dangerous? And how does the wisdom of the world push us to choose that path? Well, it's easy for us to make decisions based upon the eye. You know, one of the things we talk about consistently in CBT is that we we either become people of the ear or of the eye. The eye looks around and says, this seems like the right way to go. The ear has to listen to God. And God's sometimes it's harder to discern God's direction, but it's wiser to because our paths can seem right. And the world whispers to us or sometimes even shouts that uh, these ways are good. If we look at them carefully, we see they're diametrically opposed to the God's path for his people. What wisdom dictates, Jonathan, is that we evaluate where that path's going to take us. Like David prays, you know, he says, Lead, he says, deliver me from every evil way. Why? Because ways take us somewhere. We need to consider the consequences, and we need to consider them in light of the clear commands of God. And then we have to choose according to God's will. Isaiah will tell us later on that our ways are not God's ways. So we must ask him to lead us in his ways so that we can navigate this life well. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Next. What does the Lord reveal about himself through these Proverbs? If the fear of the Lord involves a continual awareness of God's presence, how does Proverbs cultivate that kind of fear? Well, just in the reading of of this day, Proverbs teaches us, for example, that the Lord knows our hearts, that the Lord watches over everything and sees both the evil and the good, that the Lord demands honesty in all of our dealings, that the Lord hates the sacrifices, the way, and the plans of the wicked. And these are all three statements in Proverbs 15. And that the Lord is a refuge from his people. Because of this, he's far from the wicked and near to his own. So as we learn this about him, we realize that fearing him simply means learning to stay close to him, to live in his presence, and to live knowing that what we do today matters for today, but not just for today, but it will be evaluated on that day. When we learn these proverbs, the words we're just reading, they drill those truths home to us, and they they dig them deep into our soul and help us to be more equipped to live for the Lord. Mm. Amen. Amen. Next. How does the writer characterize the heart? What negative or positive statements about the heart speak to us? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. In Proverbs, uh, when the writer uses the word heart, he really means the seat of the true self. And you know, as Jeremiah tells us, it's desperately wicked, so we can't trust it. Later on in the book of Proverbs, we're going to read that the person who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Uh, And here the Lord reminds us that he tests the heart that fools have no heart to learn from God, that crooked hearts won't prosper, and that the heart devours rumors like delicious treats. That's such a beautiful picture because we realize how inclined our heart is to want to believe the worst and to want to see the evil instead of the good. But positively in these verses, we learn that a cheerful heart is good medicine. And God wants our hearts to be a cheerful heart 
for him. Because when we have that cheerful heart, we're going to be pleasing to God, and we're going to walk in ways of joy. We're going to be protected by the Lord. You talked earlier about the way of the world being diametrically opposed to the way of God, and uh, I don't think it's ever more clear to me that that's true than right here as we talk about the heart, because as I was growing up, I heard adults all the time telling children to follow their hearts, Mm. Um, and the Bible says just the opposite. Uh, Follow the Lord and not your heart. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Next, why does Proverbs value hard work and how should hard workers use their resources? In Proverbs 21, where we're reading it this day, June 2, uh, Proverbs says, 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. In 21.25, he says, Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. What we learn from Proverbs, and it's really an overall theme of one of the overall themes of the book, is that God honors those who work hard not for salvation, but using the gifts we have. Hard work recognizes not just that God has blessed all that I have, but that he has given me the opportunity, the ability, the energy, and the desire for work. Uh, Many people have uh, the energy, but they don't have an opportunity. They don't have a job. Mm -hmm. Many people have the opportunity and energy, but they don't have any desire. And many people have opportunity, energy, and, and desire, but they don't have the ability. And yet God has blessed us with all of these. Work is from God because it's a pre-fall thing. As you know, Adam was given tasks in the garden before they ever, uh, before the fall ever occurred. Dr. John Hammett says that work is intrinsic to human life as God intended it to be. God uses work to provide uh, humans with the opportunity to glorify him, provide for themselves, help others, and to find purpose and dignity. In the riches of our contemporary society, where we are today in America, we need to remember that we're going to give an account of our riches, and we don't want to be ashamed on the big day. We don't want to take all that God has given to us and have to give an account for the, and for many, in many of us, the millions of dollars that will pass through our hands in our lifetime compared to the paltry sum that we would give to honor the king and to use the fruits of our labor for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Mm. Amen. Amen to all that. I'm teaching through, as you know, uh, many of the feasts and holy days found in Leviticus 23 um, right now with our students. And uh, I started out off with the Sabbath because that's the way the chapter starts off. And in that, I even made the comment, you know, every time that you see God commanding them to keep the Sabbath because rest is good, he talks about the six days of work. So even in there, there's a six-to-one ratio. You mostly work. That's right. (laughs) With our lives, they're mostly about work. And finally, what warning does Proverbs give about angry people, and how does that warning speak to relationships in everyday life? Proverbs 22-24 speaks to this. This is the verse that really comes to this, although it, it... uh, the writer uses anger or angry about 15 times in the, in the book of Proverbs, but this verse really speaks and gives us a warning. He says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. Why? Because hot-tempered people bring unbridled anger into relationships such as dating, marriage, and business partnerships, and that very lack of control can bring violence and harm, physical harm, emotional harm, spiritual harm, and mental harm. Women, to speak specifically, should pray very carefully before entering into dating relationships with angry men. And all believers should consider any 
lasting, binding relationship, any kind of agreement you want to enter into, uh, even pastoral. If your pastor is an angry man, if you're if you meet somebody that wants to counsel you, but they're an angry person, that ought to be a wake-up call and an alarm bell from the Lord to say, be careful about this relationship. Amen. Amen. And James has has something to say about that, right? We're, we're slow to speak and slow to become angry, but we're right. quick to listen. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Dr. May. Thanks for joining us. Listen in each week with CBT as we draw from the well of the Word to answer questions from the weekly reading of the One Year Chronological Study Bible.